We're going to be in John 3, and I'm going to start in verse 1. I want you to, to think about the fact that John wrote this book. Right, so what we're about to read is, is from John, and this was the disciple John, the one that's known as probably the closest one to Jesus. Right, he's the one that at the Last Supper, he laid his head on Jesus' chest, and I mean, they were close. John is known as the disciple of love. John writes all about love, and, and so think about that as we're reading this and, and what John's trying to get across. And, and in our reading today, we're going to read the most famous Bible verse in the world. So I'm sure you've probably heard it. But today, I just want to spend a few minutes, and I want to talk to you about everything that you know to be true. Like everything that you've been taught is truth and everything that you know to be true. And, and I want you to just take a few minutes today and realize that it's okay to question that. In fact, Jesus taught us that it's okay to ask questions. Just because you've always believed something or you always thought something was right or you were told or taught something, like it's not only okay, it's good and healthy. For you to ask questions, that's okay. Take your questions to God. Take your questions to each other. Take your, let your questions be answered through Scripture. But you need to know it's okay to ask questions. Any religion or group or organization or anyone that tells you you can't ask a question, that's kind of scary. Right? No, this is what it is. This is what you do. You don't ask questions. If you ask questions, you're a troublemaker. That's kind of scary. Right? That's kind of cultish that's that's not what Jesus set up that's not the kingdom of God in fact scripture tells us that our God is a mystery right he wants us to seek him out to grow and learn so it's okay to ask questions most of us spend our lives figuring out life like how to live this life and and figuring out what we should have done in life and sometimes regretting the mistakes that we made i'm pretty sure we've all made mistakes if you've lived your whole life and you hadn't made any mistakes then congratulations i don't know how you pulled that off right yeah you just don't know we've all made mistakes everybody makes mistakes probably daily and a lot of times we can look back on our life and regret different mistakes or choices or, or wonder, right? What if I would have made a different, different decision there, or done something different? What would my life look like now or where would I be? Or, you know, what if I didn't go out with those friends that night and try that for the first time and get addicted? And, like, and we can go down all these rabbit trails and think about all these different things wishing that we had one more shot. Like, what if I would have, not just, I don't want you to only think of bad things, think about good things. Like, what if I would have played that sport? How good could I have been? Right? I wonder what would have happened. What if I did do this or didn't do that? And here's the thing with life, we don't get a practice run. We don't get a trial run. There is no preseason. 
there's no warm up. We're just born as babies and we have to try to figure out life and how to do it good. And, and we don't get the training before we become a human. It's just one shot. Your knees are weak and your palms are sweaty. You got one chance, one shot. We're thrown in with the ignorance and innocence of childhood. We don't know anything. And in fact, we're thrown in with this innocence and this ignorance as a child or as a baby where other broken people are in charge and we don't even get to choose what happens the first lot of years of our life. We don't even get to choose what training we get or what we're taught or what's modeled in front of us or what, like, you didn't pick what family you were born into or what race you are or what you learned or what, if it was great or if it was terrible. You didn't even get to pick that. You were just born into whatever you were born into, into this ruthless, violent, sinful world with broken people. And then we're expected to grow up and just be okay. You're supposed to grow up and be the best version of you. So, man, this wasn't supposed to be depressing. So, my question for you today is, what if you could have a reset? Right now that you're mature and you're, you're seasoned in years and you know a lot of things and you know a lot of things you probably would have done differently and... You maybe a lot of you know your purpose now or you know God like you accept that Jesus died on the cross and paid for your sins so you know about salvation so now what if you could have a reset and start your life over now you probably you have a lot better shot right you know about how to find healing from hurts and wounds you know about how to forgive people and let go you know you know a lot of things so now you have a lot of tools so that you could be the best version of you if you could just have a reset. What if you could reset? What if you could start over? When I was thinking about a reset or a start over, I, I have some memories that I had to work through. Of, you know, when I was a kid, I was the oldest of 10, and we didn't have a lot of video games and stuff, but we did get that old, uh, we had an old Nintendo, and, you know, they had that reset button on there. And you could just hit that reset button and it would start you back over at the beginning of the game. Now, my brother Nate made me so mad so many times because if he was losing, I mean, we'd be sitting there playing Mario Kart. And if he was losing, well, you'd go about two times around the track. And if he couldn't catch you or pass you or get a good, you know, banana peel for you to slip on or something like that, and he realized, man, I'm going to lose this game, he'd set his controller down and walk up there and hit the reset. It would make me so mad. You can't finish the game. You can't walk up there and hit reset. Well, I already did now. You want to race again or what? If you're so good, beat me again. You get so mad at him, right? And you start playing. And sure enough, if I start beating him again, because I beat him every time. Yeah. I was older than him and I better than him. Faster thumbs. You start beating him again, guess what? He don't care how mad you were going to get. He didn't care if you punched him. He was going to walk up there and hit the reset button. You know why? Because he wanted to win. At all costs, he was going to win. He'd say, nope, losing this one, I'm going to go hit the reset button. 
Wouldn't that be nice in life? Like when you really screw something up and you really just mess up, if you just had a reset button, you could be like, man, let me try that again. I lost that round. Hey, we're about to lose this softball game here in the church tournament. Reset. Let's try again. How many times are you going to hit it until I win? Just keep on resetting. Wouldn't that be good if we had a reset button for life? I don't know. We may never get anywhere because we keep hitting the reset button. That'd probably be pretty frustrating. Kind of bad. Sounds kind of like reincarnation. You know, some people, they believe that when you die, you get reincarnated and you come back as something else, someone else. But that's what Jesus is offering in the story that we're about to read. Jesus is offering a reset. Hey, this is what it is. Look, my spirit comes in and you can be born again or reset or almost reincarnated. You get a chance to do it again. Let's, let's read the story. Look what Jesus says. There was a man of the Pharisees. You've heard of these Pharisees, right? His name was Nicodemus. A ruler of the Jews. Hold on, I know that was only one verse, but I need to ask you all a question. Were the Pharisees good or bad? Raise your hand if you think the Pharisees were bad. Raise your hand if you think the Pharisees were good. Well, oh, raise your hand if you're not willing to raise your hand. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> this this the sideways thumb is C it's like good okay I feel like me growing up in church and listening to sermons and reading like I feel like the Pharisees kind of get painted in a bad light like they're kind of the bad guys right they're the religious ones that Jesus you know had some bad things to say about and then you know they're ultimately the reason that Jesus got crucified on the cross so these were the bad guys and so I feel like in a lot of times today and in our churches and in modern Christianity, the Pharisees are painted as the bad guys. They're painted as the villain. You know how sometimes when you're watching a movie, like they trick you in the movie on purpose and they make you think like, this is the good guy, this is the bad guy. And then later in the movie, it's like this big surprise and you realize, oh no, he's not the good guy. He's the, wait, that was the good guy, that's the bad guy. And then they, they do this flip on you and then they make you like this person. And then by the end of the movie, you can't stand that person and you like this person. Right? And so a lot of times we think that the Pharisees were the bad guys, but actually back in their day, the Pharisees were the good guys. The Pharisees were formed after the children of Israel came out of slavery for their rebellion and all of their wrongdoings. So they formed this sect of Jews called the Pharisees. And these were the ones that were going to pay the highest price. They were going to sacrifice more than anyone else. They were willing to pray every day and to memorize the Torah. They would memorize the scriptures. They would, do, they would fast twice a week. Two days every single week of their whole entire life from now until they died. They, they committed to fast and pray. Like these were the most committed people there were. And the reason they formed this group of the Pharisees after they came out of bondage from the Egyptians was to make sure that God's people never got so far away from God that they fell back into slavery. 
These were the good guys. These were the guys that were paying a higher price than anyone else in the Jewish nation to be close to God, to have the knowledge of God, to memorize Scripture, to fast, to pray, to all the things. Now, yes, they got, they got a little arrogant with it. They got prideful with it. They started thinking like, hey, you know, it's all about us and our prayer tassels, and we're better than everyone. But honestly, they were paying a higher price than everyone. These were the good guys. And so I don't want you to just think of this man... Nicodemus, the Pharisee, I don't want you to just think that he was a bad guy. He was the best one. He knew more than anyone about Yahweh. We're about to see that Jesus calls him the teacher. The teacher means he was the head. Like he was the top. Uh, he knew more about Yahweh than anyone. He had been willing to sacrifice more than anyone. He gave his life for righteousness. If religion could get you into a relationship with God, he was in. If religion and following the rules and memorizing Bible verses and praying and fasting and, and doing all the things right and living your life right and trying not to sin, and if that could bring you happiness and relationship with God and fulfillment and purpose, Nicodemus was in. He had stamped his ticket to heaven if that could do it. If that could get you in. He was the greatest. But he was still looking for something. He was still searching. Because all the knowledge in the world won't replace relationship. Look at verse 2, and I promise the other verses will go faster than that first one. The same came to Jesus by night. He came at night so that no one would see him. And said unto him, Rabbi, or teacher, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. We know, uh, like, we know that you're a teacher come from God. Uh, ask him for a friend. I need to ask you something. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Like we can't deny it because we see the fruit. We see you helping people doing miracles and doing things. And we can't deny that you're sent from God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Imagine Nicodemus, like you've probably read this scripture before, you've probably heard that before, maybe it doesn't seem that weird to you. Imagine him, he comes to him and he says, hey, we know that you're a teacher, we know that you're from God, we see fruit in your life, I need to know what's going on. And Jesus said, um, Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you'll never see the kingdom of God. You know, they say there are two reasons that you can't see something. Number one, it's just too far away, right? You just can't see it because it's too far away. Or number two, you're blind. Like you're blind to it or you can't see it. If you have a, even a vision problem to where you can't see far away and it's just past where you can see, there's only two reasons. They say you can't see. Either see something 
it's too far away or you're blind to it right you can't see it like if you're colorblind you can't see a certain color even though it's there right i can hold up something red but if you're colorblind you can't tell that it's red it's there but you're blind to it and so i thought that was kind of cool that jesus said if you're not born again you can't see the kingdom of god this kingdom that i've come to usher in it's here it's close but if you're not born again then you can't see what it is that i'm offering and then in several other places jesus says things like the kingdom is near the kingdom of heaven is at hand the kingdom of heaven is close so you know what that does that eliminates the first one that it's too far away for you to see that's Jesus making sure there's no question. The reason you can't see it is because you're blind to it. Your eyes have not been opened because it's not too far away. It's right here. You can touch it. He said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said unto him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born I don't know why he had that weird accent. Sorry. Nicodemus said, that makes no sense. What Are you kidding me? How am I supposed to get back in my mother's womb? I'm old. I'm big. Like she, that won't work. Jesus, this can't happen. That, that doesn't even make sense. I thought you were a teacher. You're not teaching me anything. Jesus answered, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water, and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God, into my righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. You, you won't ever enter into the kingdom. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. Jesus is saying, hey, don't get caught up on the fact that I said you must be born again. Marvel not, like, like don't get caught up on that and get stuck there because I, I need you to understand what I'm saying. Don't get stuck there. Right? Don't be held up on this point. I want you to see the kingdom. I want you to step into it. I want you, but don't get stuck there. Why? Because Nicodemus was a very smart man. He was an extremely educated man. As far as education goes, he was a lot more educated than Jesus. And so Jesus was saying, like, hey, marvel not. Don't get caught up on trying to figure out what I'm saying and, and let your knowledge block you from the Spirit that I'm trying to show you. You know that can happen? Right? You can have so much knowledge. You can be so smart that it can stop you because you can't figure out everything about God. You can't figure out everything that he's asking you to do. You can't figure out faith. If you could, it wouldn't be faith, right? Because you could figure it out. You don't know everything. I know that was a shock to some of you. I'll let that sink in. And I don't either. Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. And now Jesus is going to explain it to him. He said, don't get caught up on that. Listen, just listen to me. The wind bloweth where 
it listed. And thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whether it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be true? What, like, how's this even true? Jesus said, look, it's like the wind. It blows, and you can feel the wind, and you can hear the wind, and you can see the effects of the wind, but you don't know where the wind came from. You don't know where the wind's going after it blows through your hair. But it's there, and you believe in it, even though you can't see it. You can hear it. You can feel it. Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel? The master, the leader, the chief of the Pharisees. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. They wrote laws. And he was one of the older ones, the chief, the leader. Art thou the master of Israel and knowest not these things? You're the teacher, and you're coming to me asking for answers? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do not know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. Jesus is trying to get the point across to this very smart guy that you're the smartest one. You're the teacher. You've studied more than anybody. You've memorized more than anybody. Like if anybody should know the way or know these mysteries that you've come asking me about, to know about the kingdom of God, to know about a relationship with God, anybody, if anybody in the world knows the answers to the questions that you're asking, it would be you, Nicodemus. And you don't know. If I've told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. Jesus was one up in him there. Verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness... Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now that's, that's one of the places I was going to turn. We're not going to turn there. It was in Numbers 21. It was when the children of Israel were coming through the desert and they were getting bit by snakes. And they were just dying. They were getting bit by these poisonous snakes and dying. And Moses went and said, the people are dying. What are we supposed to do? God said, make a statue of a snake. This big golden snake. And when you stick it up in the air, anybody that got bit by a snake, they just come up and they look up at it. And they'll be healed. And they did that and it happened. Uh, and that's the, the same snake that we use today on like a, at a doctor's office or at a pharmacy. If you see that little snake symbol, that's, that's where that came from. Um, but the snake lifted up. So, so Jesus is referencing that story. And this 
Pharisee, this Jewish rabbi, teacher, would have been very familiar with that and what happened with Moses and the snake. Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. What was Jesus talking about? The cross. That I'll be lifted up. And so all the, all the humans that were bit and dying because of sin, sin is death, we were all dying. All that look up to me on the cross and realize what I did and see the sacrifice that was paid, that blood, when you look up and the Son of Man is lifted up, You'll be healed. You'll have life. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He so loved you and me that he gave his son. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus is telling the teacher, the Pharisee, this is what it's about. This is what I came for. This is what the kingdom's about. I like how the first words that came out of his mouth, the first words that we read were rabbi or teacher. We know, blah, 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 blah. The first thing he said was what he knows. What I know to be true is this. We know that you're a teacher. And we know that you must be sent from God. We know this. And he leads with what he knows. Teacher. We know that you're a teacher. It takes one to know one. And I'm a teacher, so I know that you're a teacher. And I want you to realize today that if you know him as a teacher, that you're only going to get so far in your relationship and in the things that God wants to do in you and through you. And if you just look at Jesus as a teacher, that's great. And you can learn some good morals from him. And you can learn to feed the hungry and clothe the naked from reading the life and story of Jesus. And that's really good. But, you know, even people from different religions will agree that he was a good teacher. Even people that aren't Christians will agree that Jesus was a man that lived and was a good teacher or a prophet or he did some great works and stuff. like. And so if you only know Jesus as a teacher and that's what you know and that's what you study and that's what you see when you read Scripture and when you listen to me preaching messages, you're just looking for a little more knowledge of how you can live a more moral life or or how you can do a little bit of behavior modification and make things a little better between you and your spouse. And it's just a teacher that's going to give you the things you need to pass this grade and move on to the next grade. If that's how you look at God and your relationship with Jesus and your Bible reading and your prayer is like, he's just a teacher and it's just going to help me get to where I want to be. There's so much more that you can have if you would tap into the Spirit. See, he's more than a teacher. The rabbis knew he was a teacher. We know that, that you're a teacher. Jesus was trying to show him that it can be so much more. Like how often do you see your teachers, um, your past teachers from school? RJ, how often do you see your first grade teacher? Never. You in relationship with them? Do you even remember, was it a man or a woman? Or 
second grade teacher, what was her name? Mrs. Shell. You ever see her? Do you, you don't ever try to contact her or learn from her anymore? She's taught you everything she had to teach? Because RJ was in her class when he was in second grade, and then when he got done with second grade, he got to move on to the next grade, and so he didn't need the teacher anymore. And that's how a lot of people treat their relationship with Jesus and God and the church. Like, they pray when they're in trouble or they need God to help them out with something or they show up and need something from Jesus to help them get to the next level and then they're done with it. Why? There's not a relationship there. 10, 20, 30 years from now, it's not like they're in relationship because it was just the information that they needed. You did what they said so that you could get to the next level. He thought he knew. And Jesus is telling him, you don't know. I'm a Jew. And, and we have this covenant through Abraham. And we know. And I'm a rabbi. All of us rabbis, we know. We have the knowledge up here. I see you as a teacher. So what can you teach me to get me to the next level? That's how he was coming at Jesus. What is the piece of knowledge that I don't have? Because obviously you know something that we don't know. You see, so we know this, but obviously you know something that we don't know because I tried to kill that... I, to kill. I tried to heal that woman that was demon possessed and I couldn't Mary Magdalene and then you did and, and she's healed and she's in her right mind and, and that lame man's been sitting there for 40 years and you healed him and some of my Pharisee buddies were there and we saw it so obviously you know something that we don't know so what is the piece of knowledge that you have that we don't have how are you smarter than us see because he thought that was the missing link link was more knowledge. I need another piece of knowledge. I need to know. There must be something I don't know. And Jesus says, no. No, you need a Savior. You need to be reborn. You need a reset. Right? You need to start over. You don't need to know another piece of knowledge. You need relationship. You need to stop seeing me as a teacher and see me as the Messiah that you've been waiting for. Nicodemus, don't you see it? You've been praying that I would come and I'm here. I'm sitting in front of you. Don't miss this because that's what you're missing. It's not another piece of knowledge. It's not another scripture memorized. It's not another verse. It's relationship. You need to see me as the Messiah. That's what Jesus was trying to get across he said, you got to be born again. So I was thinking about being born again. And I was thinking about the womb. Like when you're in your mother's womb. It's kind of small. Uh, kind of cramped conditions. Especially when it's getting close to time for you to come out. To the next level. There's, there's not a lot of room in there. Can I just, I know maybe you do, but let me just ask you, 
what if you didn't know everything? Maybe, like, maybe you don't know everything about everything. What if you don't know? What if your view of reality or of the world is limited by what you see in this moment? I'm saying, what if it is, but I could go ahead and tell you it is. Because you're human. So your reality is limited by what you can see in this moment. Or by the womb that you're trapped in. That's what your reality looks like. Ask an infant if they could talk. What if you asked an infant, hey, in this interview, we want to know from you, what is the world like? What's an infant going to tell you about the world? They can hear voices and sounds from inside there, but they're probably going to tell you, oh, what's the world like? Oh, it's really small. And you could be, you're out here walking around and be like, no, nah, that was wrong. And they're going to tell you, it's, it's pretty dark all the time. It's dark. It's really wet. There's a lot of fluid. Right? Like, like that's... The infant's living in the same world that you are, but they're trapped inside a womb. Jesus is saying, look, you need to get born again. I know you got born one time in the natural of water, but you need to get born again. You got to step outside of this womb, this mindset of what you know, this, this mindset that's going to limit you. See, when they come out, wow, a whole new world. Ah, oh, Yahweh. <laughs> right? They breathe in that breath and they're like, pop out and the doctor's smacking them in the butt. World just instantly changed and got much bigger real fast and pretty scary. Why? Because they were born. You see, the womb is your world. It's what you believe. This is the way it is. This is the way the world is. That's just the way men are. That's the way women are. Well, this is the way relationships are. That's how pastors are. This is how churches are. This is... No. That's the limits that you've put on it. That's the womb that you choose to stay in. This is the way I see it. I 100% believe that is the way you see it. But it doesn't have to be the way you see it. What if the way you see it is not the way it is? Or it's a distorted version of what it really is? So your belief or your opinion is fact? Is that what you believe? Because that's dangerous. Just because you believe or you have an opinion about something, if you think that's fact and nobody can convince you any of otherwise and nothing that could be said or done could show you that, hey, maybe I was wrong in that area, that means you're never going to grow in that area. So every area of your life where you've reached it and you know, we know, teacher, 
this is what we know. We need you to tell us what we don't know. You know, every area of your life where you decide you know, you stop growth. You don't grow anymore in that area. You close it off. That's the way your brain's designed. Like you think, all right, check that off. We're done with that. We don't ever have to go back there. I don't ever have to do second grade math again because now I've made it to the third grade. I'll never go back and do second grade math because I know. The best and most effective way to stop your brain from learning and growing is to believe that you already know. It stops your brain from learning and growing. So in any area in your life, if you believe that you already know something, then your brain just shuts off and never grows anymore in that area. And so that's why they say that little kids, children, they're learning at a rapid rate. They're learning how to walk and talk and run and jump and play sports and they're learning stuff in school and they're learning. And the older you get, the less you learn. The older you get, the harder it is to learn an instrument or to learn a new sport or to learn a new skill or something like it gets harder and harder as you get older. And that's the reason why. Because you've already decided in your mind, I already know. I'm not good at that. I am good at that. I know how to do that. I don't know how to do that. I can't, and, and so you've stopped your brain from growing and learning. You don't even learn or grow anymore because you, and, and you just get content with who you are. Even the areas where you could grow or change, you just get stuck. And you don't keep growing because you already know. You don't ask questions anymore. You know, sometimes that's pretty annoying when a little kid keeps asking, why? 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 Because I said so. Why? Why? Jesus said, unless you become like a little child, you won't enter into the kingdom of heaven. What? Well, what's it mean to be like a child? Is I ask questions of why, and I don't think I know everything like I'm willing to learn. I'm open to learn and say, hey, okay, I was wrong on that. All right, I'll get it right this time. Oh, yeah, I want to learn a new sport. I want to learn a new instrument. I want to, I want to grow in God. I want to know more about God. No, I've never heard that Bible story. Tell it to me. What does that mean? What does this mean? What does it mean to be saved? How can Jesus live in my heart? Uh, how is If you take an x-ray, will I see him in there? Well, think about a little kid like, they're open to grow and learn. And Jesus said, unless you be like that, you're not going to walk in all I have for you. I want you to be born of the Spirit. I want you to be born again and experience real life. I want you to have a reset. And, and you don't have to wait till you die and hope that reincarnation is true I'm telling you right now while you're still breathing you can have a total reset and be born again and experience a brand new life starting now and you still have the knowledge of all the things you walk through and I'm such a big good God that I can work it all together for your good even the failures and mistakes and problems and addictions and abuse and everything that you've walked through I can still work all that together for good if you'll just be born again and be open to say, I don't know, but I want to learn. I want to grow. Teach me. Maybe I was wrong about that stuff. You know, it's okay to say I was wrong. I thought this, but I was wrong. 
It's kind of how Jesus wants us to be. Your brain craves certainty. But it stops growth. And you will then try to force everyone and everything in your small world to fit through your cookie cutter of how things should be. Because when you stop the growth in an area and you've got, well, this is how it's supposed to look and this is how it should be. And then you think everyone else in your world has to go through that cookie cutter and they all have to look like that too because you've decided that's the way. So anybody that doesn't do it your way is now. right? And it makes your world smaller and smaller and it takes away your impact. And it stops the growth in your own brain. So I hope you were 100% right. Because you already know. And people that don't agree with you, well, they just don't know. This is why kids' brains are still growing so fast. They're learning new things every day because they don't know. Jesus said, unless you become like little children. Man, I already said that. That was in my notes. You won't enter into the kingdom. And it's not until your belief is shattered that you realize, oh, I didn't know. Trust me, that'll happen. God will keep trying to get you to the point where you realize, I didn't know. Over and over and over and the more hard-headed you are, the more times you're going to have to have your beliefs shattered because God loves you so much and wants relationship with you so much. He wants you to be reborn so much that He'll keep on shattering your beliefs to, to try to make you realize, I didn't know. Like, I know, I know. I know how to raise teenagers. And then you have a teenager. And that belief gets shattered and the things you thought you knew, you don't know. Right? I know what I would do in that situation. And then guess what? You get put in that situation. And sometimes you didn't know. Right? Like it. So God will break those beliefs to make you realize, hey, I didn't know. So I learned to trust and grow. And God gives us grace for today. I know all about addiction. Oh, really? Be careful saying, I know. I know what I would do. Wish I could be in his shoes or her shoes. I've said that before. I'd just make the right decisions for a while. Right? Like, but you don't know. Just be careful. Thinking you know everything. I feel like a lot of preachers limit their impact. Because they only hang out with other preachers and... They're religious friends because they know. Right? And then you limit your impact and the people that you can reach. 
You need to have an encounter with Jesus and with people that are different than you. That's what Jesus teaches us. Go and have an encounter with Jesus. Have a reset. Be born again. And don't be afraid to listen to somebody that's different than you. That believes something different than you. It's okay. You show them Jesus and the love of Jesus. And don't just come at it thinking you know everything. And everybody else needs to catch up to your level of intelligence. Or spirituality. Or whatever it is that you pride yourself on. None of us know everything. No one knows everything there is to know about God or the Bible or humanity or the world. I think it's kind of cool that, you know, the Blake House, we're connected to, to the Blake House. And one thing that's cool about the Blake House is that you can't be on staff there if you haven't been through the program. Like if you've not struggled with addiction and been through the long-term program and made it through and then stayed on and learned how, that every single staff member at the Blake House has been through the program. So they're not asking you to do something that they've never done, right? They're not telling you this is what you need to do to find freedom from your addiction and they don't know because every single one of them has walked through what they're telling you. Right? And I think that's something, I think that's a pretty cool thing. You know, empathy, the ability to put yourself in someone else's shoes, in someone else's situation, is something that Jesus taught as Christians. We're supposed to develop and have empathy in our lives. We're supposed to say, hey, you know what, I've, I've probably not walked through what they've walked through. And things that were done to them maybe weren't done to me, or, you know, what they were taught growing up might be different than what I was taught. And we're supposed to love people. And so empathy makes it pretty easy to love people if I can put myself in somebody else's shoes and realize, hey, you know what? They probably believe the things they believe because of, could be because of good things they went through or bad things they went through or trauma that they went through, like certain could have gone through abuse as a child or all kind of stuff. Empathy is a powerful tool in becoming Christ-like. We call ourselves Christians. We want to be like Jesus. We got to learn to use empathy and be like Jesus. Okay, instead of turning, I was going to go to John 19, but instead of turning to John 19, um, we're about to watch a video of what I've been talking about and we'll close. But what I was going to show you in John 19, we don't really know what Nicodemus's answer was after Jesus talked to him here. We just kind of get open-ended, like Jesus wants him to come and follow him, and we don't know. But at the cross, when Jesus was crucified, Nicodemus is one that, he's one of the two men that got Jesus off the cross. And he anointed Jesus' body. And he's the one that made this major sacrifice. He brought in 75 pounds of oil. It was myrrh and aloes and sandalwood, which is still pretty expensive oils. Um, if you did the, I did the math on it, um, and it comes out to be right around $200,000 worth of oil. Sacrifice he brought and anointed Jesus' body. When all the disciples were scared and hidden in the upper room, he was boldly there, a Pharisee, 
And I believe when he looked up at the cross and he saw Jesus hanging on the cross, he thought back to this moment that we just read where Jesus said, remember the snake? Remember the snake? And unless the Son of Man be lifted up, even if he didn't get it in this moment, I know he got it at the cross because he paid the highest price and he made this huge sacrifice and he, he took Jesus' body and, and he buried it. Let's watch this video, and this is a video of what we read. And Don't know where to start. I have so many questions. I... Shall we sit first? Oh, yes, of course. The eastern slums. Hmm. Many wandering preachers have succeeded in gathering crowds with their rhetoric and fiery tone. I've heard a few of them over the years myself. So you know the type. Mm -hmm. But I have never heard anyone tell a paralytic to get up and walk, much less it actually happened. So what is your conclusion? I believe you are not acting alone. No one can do these signs you do without having God in him. Only someone who has come from God. And how is that belief going over in the synagogue? <laughs> Which is why we are here at this hour. What else? Have you come here to show us? A kingdom. That is what our rulers are worried about. No, not that kind. Then what? A sort of kingdom that a person cannot see unless he is born again. Born again? Yes. You mean like a new creature? A conversion from Gentile to Jewish? No. No, that's not what I'm talking about. Then what is born again? <sighs> I hope you don't mean return to the womb, because that would be a problem for me. My mother, may she rest in peace, is dead. Truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. That part of you, that, is what must be reborn to new life. How can these things be? Ah, a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things. Huh? I'm trying, Rabbi. I know. I know. Do you hear this? Listen, what do you hear? The wind. How do you know it's the wind? Because I can feel it. I hear its sound. Do you know where it comes from? No. Do you know where it's going? No. That's what it is to be born again of the Spirit. The Spirit may work in a way that is a mystery to you. And while you cannot see the Spirit, 
You can recognize his effect. Mind is consumed with thoughts of what a stir these words would cause among the teachers of the law. Yes, and I do not expect otherwise. I speak of what I know and have seen, and it has not been received by the religious leaders. It is hard to receive. So if I have told you of earthly things, and you do not believe, how can I tell you heavenly things? I believe your words. I just fear you may not have a chance to speak many more of them before you are silenced. I have come to do more than speak words, Nicodemus. More miracles? Yes. But even more than that. Do you remember when the children of Israel complained against God and against Moses in the wilderness of Paran? Yes. They wanted to return to Egypt and they cursed the manna that God sent them. And then? They were bitten by serpents and they were dying. But? But God made a way for them to be healed. Moses lifted the bronze serpent in the desert and people only needed to look at it. So will the Son of Man be lifted up so that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Our people are not dying from snake bites. They're dying from taxation and oppression. I'm sorry to disappoint you. But I did not come to deliver the people from Rome. Then from what? From sin. From spiritual death. God loves the world in this way. That he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So this has nothing to do with Rome. It's all about sin. God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, Nicodemus. He sent him to save it through him. It's as simple as Moses' serpent on the pole. Whoever believes in him will not be condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Have you ever heard anything like this before? When I met Lilith, Mary, that day, I told my wife and my students that she was beyond human aid. Only God could have healed her. And then I saw her healed. Healer. I, my whole life, I have wondered if I would see this day. Follow me, and you'll see more. Follow you? Join me and my students. In two days' time, we leave Capernaum. Come see the kingdom I am bringing into this world. But I, I, I can't. You have a position in the Sanhedrin. You have family. You are getting advanced in years. <laughs> I understand. But the invitation is still open. The invitation to what exactly? To lead a nomadic life, to give up who I am. It's true. 
There is a lot you would give up. But what you would gain is far greater and more lasting. Is this another one of your born-again mysteries? <laughs> Maybe. I know mysteries aren't easy for a scholar. Think about it. Take your time. On the morning of the fifth day, we leave and we'll meet by the well in the southern quarter at dawn. Is this. Is the kingdom of God really coming? What does your heart tell you? My heart is swollen with fear and. Can tell me nothing except that I am standing on holy ground. <laughs> holy roof. <laughs> not a bad thing the old testament and the old covenant it's all types and shadows of what was to come in the heart of god towards us for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life that we could live really live not be alive breathing and experiencing death every day Jesus made one thing very clear, and it is that God's intention towards us, towards you, is love. And He wants you to be reborn into the Spirit. So come out of the womb. Realize that you're a spirit. Stop living in a physical world trying to solve every problem. He wants you to be a spiritual being that affects every physical thing in your world. Is there anything less material than love? I, I mean, I don't think so. And I hear people say, well, I can't believe in anything that's, that's not material. I, it's hard for me to believe in anything I can't see. It's hard for me to trust or believe in something I can't see like God or the Spirit or faith. or You know, I hear people say that all the time. 
But is there anything less material than love? I don't think so. And think about what love does. Love can ruin you. Love changes your life. Love will make you die for someone. You know, you'll move across the country for love. You'll quit jobs for love. You'll destroy other relationships for love. Love, you can't see love. And yet love is probably the most powerful thing. Force. It will cause you to act. Love will alter your priorities and the entire direction of your life. And you can't see it. It's not a material thing. Love is this non-material thing that connects all humans. It binds us to God and to each other. And God tells us that He is love. Love is who God is. Love is like God's shadow. You can't see it, but you can feel it. And you can hear it. And it changes you. It's a relationship. Stepping into more than what you know. In fact, it's admitting that you don't know. It's seeing Jesus as more than just a teacher, but the Messiah that made a way for you to be reborn and to step into a new life in the Spirit and to learn and grow and ask questions and have faith. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for all the ways that you speak to us. Thank you for getting through to us. God, we thank you that we don't have to have all the answers. That we don't have to know for sure everything. That we can trust you. In fact, you want us to come to you for answers. To grow and learn. And be what you've called us to be. God, we thank you. We love you. Keep growing us up. In Jesus' name, amen.